Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Hey, Nate. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Life is good. That's I like to hear that. Oh, thank you. How are you doing? Fine, man. Life is good. Well, we got... um. We we got a little more feedback with with uh, episodes the uh, highlights from the year. Okay, so I mean we we've we've got obviously a Christmas message we're trying to put together for you guys, but we also want to do kind of a a little a little highlight episode. Maybe maybe pull some clips out of the the, the best clips of the year and put them together in one little show episode. What do you want to call it? Do you think in the next life that we'll all get our own dinosaur? <laughs> I know that discussion is going to make it in the top ten, whatever discussions we have here at the end. No, of but the I'm year. serious though. Like, do we all get our own T Rex? <laughs> do we get to ride around on and use as a pet? I don't know. I I haven't been on that side of the fence yet. I I I don't. I know live what on to this side you. of the fence. <laughs> I thrive on this side of the fence. Well. Don't don't box me out, dog. I'm not I'm not I'm not drawing any lines. I I haven't been on that side of the deal. I can't tell you what what is, what isn't. Don't box me out. Dinosaurs. All right. Um you uh you you wanted to add a, a little bit to our discussion from last week. Yeah, yeah. So before we dive in, the, the, we've got Amos and Obadiah this week and before we get into those, I uh, I I've got I think the greatest calling in in the church right now. I I don't know. Anytime you have a calling you really like, I think you think it's the greatest at the time. But I really do like this. I get to teach the institute, and and it's just in our stake, and there's a nice good small crowd. And we were talking about Hosea last week in institute, and we were talking about him being commanded to take a wife of whoredoms, and the idea that. The land was a land of whoredoms because they departed from the Lord. Not necessarily that Gomer had actually committed any whoredoms herself personally. And and as we were going through this discussion and having this talk, uh, towards the end of it, somebody asked, "What what does the name Gomer mean in Hebrew?" And and I can't believe I I hadn't even looked this up or considered it or looked at it. And and so we took time to 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 do some research, dive in, and find out what Gomer meant. And it's completion, perfection. And and I thought that was a fascinating name and a, a very suiting, appropriate name for for Hosea's wife in the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, I'm sorry, Obadiah is today. In the book of Hosea. Uh, because it's not, I don't know, I, I, I feel like a lot of the focus is she did all of this wrong. This is the whoredoms that she did. She did this wrong, and, and it represents Israel doing all of this wrong. And and I think that's wrong. It's It's the wrong focus. The book never says that she did anything wrong. It says that she is a land, she's, she's an Israelite, and that the land of Israel had committed whoredoms by departing from the Lord. And the focus of the book of Hosea, in my opinion, in my perspective, is not to let's harp on what Israel did wrong or what she did wrong. Let's focus on the fact that Hosea was marrying her and bringing her back to 
a, a faithful relationship with him. And by the way, Hosea in Hebrew is Jesus, that Jesus is willing to take his bride and marry her despite the weird history they've had and, and get it right. And her name represents a completion, a fullness, a perfection, that it's come full circle and she is going to be faithful. She's learned her lesson in a sense that it's perfect. An atonement, if you will. Yes. And, and I think of us, we're going to go through a Babylon or an Assyrian or a destruction-like stage, whether it's repetitively through our life as we're figuring things out and making mistakes, or whether it's death itself. And the hope that after we die, our body's destroyed, and whatever the case may be, that the Lord is willing to marry us in a sense that because of that covenant, because of that relationship, he will bring us back. He will establish us and he will make us whole and perfect. We become Gomer. We become whole and perfect. That's the message. And, and in my mind, it just seems very similar to the church of Jesus Christ staying, saying that we don't, we don't worship the cross. For us, the cross is focusing on the death, focusing on the destruction, focusing on the dying part of what Christ came to do when really the glorious part is that he came out of the tomb. And we have that, that image there in the church of Jesus Christ of, of Christ standing in the door of the tomb coming out. And that it is the message of life, of restoration, of completion, of, of perfectness. So I, I did want to mention that today, just her name and the artistic value of that in the story of Hosea and Gomer, the idea that that is the message of, of restoration. Fantastic. Um, great stuff. What are we talking about today? Today is Amos and Obadiah. Here comes Obadiah is a one chapter, small, small little book. And, and Amos is a little bit longer. I think we all know Amos for Amos 3.7. It's a famous scripture that we quote on the mission all the time. Surely the Lord God will do nothing save it. He revealeth his, his secret to his servant, the prophets. And I, I actually have a mission story about that verse. Is, is it all right if I share that uh, name? Mission stories? I know. We don't do a ton Man, of those better on this be show. Good. <laughs> it's better be good or I'm editing it out. All right. Prepare to prepare to. Prepare to, to edit. All right. Get your scissors. What out, do you Nate. got? What do you got? It's kind of a weird story. Um, isn't it? Is it, is it called Chicharrones? The the pork skin. Yeah, love those. Yeah. So we had a, a part member family that that we were working with and we were teaching, and they made chicharrones in, in their backyard, and and they they invited us back to go look at the process and see how this was all made before we had the discussion with them. Okay. And are you sure you want to know how this is done? Yeah, yeah, well, for better, for worse. We, okay, well, you found out. We found out. And while we were there, they were showing us and, and everything. This guy came over. Yeah. And and this guy is, is a weird guy, right? I have never seen anyone with so much darkness in their eyes before. Dude, this guy was, something was off okay. with, with this guy. All right. And And while we were sitting there, the, the part member family, I didn't find out until afterwards. They were freaked out for my life because the guy was standing behind me holding a knife, staring at me in like a very menacing sort of way. Okay. And I, I had no idea any of this. You know, missionaries, you just you go wherever yeah. you go with a smile on your face, right? Totally. We finish up this whole deal and, and I survive it. We go, we go and we sit down in the backyard, pull up chairs, and the guy's still hanging out. So we invite him to, to sit in for the discussion. 
And this is the this is where we get to Amos three seven. We're talking about surely the Lord God will do nothing without revealing His will to the prophets. Yep. I give him my Bible and ask if if he would like to read this verse for us. And in the Bible, in Amos three seven, it says that. But in Amos chapter two, there's another verse that you can see at the same time as you can see this one. And and it's it's the verse that he decided to read. It's uh, Amos two twelve, and he didn't read the whole verse. It, he just read, no prophetisera. And it's just the the second half of the verse. So it says, but you shall give, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophet saying, prophesy not. That's that's what the guy did. He took my Bible, he looked down and he, he read prophesy not and then closed the Bible and stared back up at me like, what are you going to do now? I, it was just a weird dude. What did you do? I said, uh, you know what? That that that's not quite the verse I was looking for. And I took the Bible back and I opened it up and we just kind of pushed on through the discussion. And then he kind of wandered off afterwards. And then they started telling us after the fact, man, this this guy's weird. He eats glass and and he just kind of wanders and he's not right in the head. And and then they told me that they, they thought he was going to murder me that day. Oh. So you thought you were going to get an edifying story from the mission. No, that actually was way better than what I thought we were going to get. I'm, I'm not editing that out at all. I thought you were going to tell me about how uh, you really liked um, the Primus cover of the song Amos Moses by Jerry Reed. Oh, my goodness. Yeah! Here comes Amos! I heard Amos Moses. Well, you will when we hear, when we listen back to this episode. Um, okay, so Amos, we got the prophet, scripture. What else we got? Amos is a really cool prophet. He's unique. And and let me tell you why. This is in the northern kingdom. So he's he's going to be contemporary there with Hosea right around the same time. This is before Israel gets destroyed. And he's going to prophesy about the destruction of Israel to the Assyrians. So it feels like we've kind of been down this road at least a few times. But what makes Amos unique is he's not from the northern kingdom. He's from the southern kingdom. So he is, as, as, as far as I know, as far as I can tell, he is the only prophet we have here in the Bible that comes from the southern kingdom and prophesies exclusively here to the northern kingdom. And not only that, but he's not a prophet in the sense of a, a lot of times you have this prophet as this, this group of people that studied uh, the children of the prophet, the prophets, this group of prophets. Amos comes up here not because he studied with the prophets, not because he's a son of the prophet, not because he has any sort of religious background or, or context. He's not a priest. He's not a Levite. He's not a prophet. He's not a son of the prophets. He's a shepherd. And he's a shepherd out of Bethlehem. Cool enough. And, and so he's out tending his sheep and the word of the Lord comes to him and says, you know what? You need to go and teach the people to the north. Go to Israel. Assyria is coming to destroy them, and I need you to warn them first. And, and that's what makes him unique. He is a prophet from the southern kingdom who actually goes up to the northern kingdom and prophesies to the people of the north. And he's saying, don't reject me because I am a shepherd. And you actually see it in some of the words that he uses and how he talks. He's not very well educated. He's not going to be like an Isaiah or or somebody who's a little bit more eloquent. He's going to be a little bit rough around the edges, and he's he's coming as a humble guy, uh, a blue-collar worker, if you will, that's, that's on a mission to do what the Lord asked him to do. Awesome. 
there's something we do get to a little bit of poetry with how he talks though. And and I, I feel like that that's just par for the course. I mean, you look at how Joseph Smith wrote in the doctrine and covenants and how he spoke. I think when you're filled with the spirit of the Lord, some of the nature and the words of the Lord reveal that, that personality of the Lord. I think you get a little bit of that coming through no matter what. And he's going to start censoring some of the things that they do. And, and this language might seem a little bit strange, when he says, these three things, yea, four things, does the Lord hate? And and I'm trying to see if I can open up my scriptures real quick to an example of that. He's, he's going to say it a few times. Chapter 1, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Because they have the, um, so there he goes. He's going to state this a couple more times when he says, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord. For three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And then he, he'll go through and he'll list them. This, this is the same language that we got in Proverbs when we talked about the seven deadly sins. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. In the language, it's, it's like raising your voice. It's, it's elevating it. It's like putting an exclamation point. Because in Hebrew, you don't have exclamation points, but you can build these three things, yea, four things. And, and when we went back with uh, Proverbs, hate, abomination, um, it, it's, it's just a way of building it with speech. It's very artistic. So you do see a little bit of that bleeding through in the book of Amos. All right. And this should sound fairly familiar to just about everyone as we've been reading the Old Testament. We're talking about the destruction of Moab, the destruction of Damascus, the, the destruction of all these people. These are... These are the kingdoms that were trying to unite together to fight against Assyria that thought that they could they they could stand a chance. Assyria comes down and ends up destroying all of these guys and 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 wiping them out. And he gives us a little bit of more context to why he does. It's the same thing that we've seen in Ezekiel, the same thing we've seen in Jeremiah, the same thing we've seen in Isaiah, uh, chapter four. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that lo, the day shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And you shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is there. And he just talks about them being destroyed. And this is, I don't know, it's, it's, it's been stated. It's been talked about over and over again. And I like, maybe, maybe it's just worth repeating one more time the story of Abraham. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm going down a wrong path on this, Nate. It, it's been a while since we've talked about Abraham. This was going back to Genesis. He, if you go back to the story of him and Lot and their shepherds are fighting and they say, look, there's no reason for our shepherds to be fighting and for us to have problems. We're family. Obviously, we've been increased and blessed by the Lord. Let's get our own space. You tell us, here's the lay of the land. Take the, the best land. Abraham gives it to Lot. Lot chooses the best part. And, and Abraham takes kind of the, the not so pretty land. It's not pleasant. It's not peaceful or it's not beautiful. That's what I'm saying. And Abraham in his not beautiful land is sitting under the shade of a tree by his tent in the heat of the day. And, and in his here, in the heat of the day, there's not a lot of trees. It's not a very beautiful place. And, and he's got his little shade there. 
and he sees strangers from afar off walking by. If it's an unpleasant land and it's hot, you don't have a lot of motivation to be pulling yourself out of your seat to go and ask some people you don't even know, what are you doing? Where are you going? How can I help you? You just hope they keep going and, and, and ignore you. Abraham gets out of his seat and the verb they use is hastens. He runs to those strangers and says, how can I help you? Not only does he say, how can I help you? He doesn't even ask the question. He says, let me wash your feet. Let me provide you a meal. Let me give you a place to comfort because I know wherever you've come from, it must've been pretty far because you're in the middle of nowhere. It's an unpleasant land. Let me provide you a little bit of peace before you continue your journey. And Abraham has, like, like, like we saw, his servants were fighting with Lot's servants. He has a lot of servants. He has a lot of property. At this point, it's very easy for Abraham to have said, hey, let me call a servant and have the servant go out and see what they want. Or let me have the servant go and wash their feet. But Abraham himself is hastening to do this for these people he doesn't know. And he says, I will wash your seat, not your feet, not a servant. I will personally. And then he hastens back. He runs back to a servant and says, I need you to kill a calf and prepare a meal. Runs into the tent and tells his wife, I need you to prepare cakes for these people. And here he is doing everything he can to go out of his way and personally serve people he doesn't even know or has no business with. And that story is put in contrast to these same servants, as soon as they leave Abraham, and in fact, Abraham's going to be bargaining for the life of a whole city of strangers he doesn't know. When the servants leave Abraham's tent, they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, per adventure, I find so many righteous people. Will you save these strangers? I don't even know or have any kind of compassion for, but he does. He cares about the stranger. So he's negotiating at risk of putting himself on the wrong side of the Lord's favor. Peradventure, Lord, please don't hate me, but I'm going to say this anyways. Can you save these people if I find this many righteous people? And and you contrast that. As soon as the messengers leave Abraham and go into Sodom and Gomorrah, they are not greeted by anyone running out to meet them. Nobody's offering to wash their feet. Lot sees them at night in fears and says, well, you can't be out here in the middle of the night. It's not safe come here and I'll give you some safety. And and they go in and the city is hastening now to take advantage of them, beating down the door to try to abuse them. And this message that, that sets precedence early on in Genesis for the Old Testament, this is the basis for what the prophets keep going back to over and over and over again. And it probably feels extremely repetitive. Amos is saying the message very clear. You've oppressed the poor. You've crushed the needy. Here are people that you treated like strangers, like foreigners among you, and you could care less about them. And because you refuse to love them, their prayers are coming up to me, and I have to avenge them now. And, and take this to the New Testament, the, uh, the squeaky will, the woman that keeps pleading for the, the unjust judge to help her. At some point, the unjust judge stands up and does judgment simply to make her stop. And that story is very applicable to this Old Testament world. We've been down this, I don't know how many times, but that's that's the message of Amos. That's the message of Obadiah, the message of Hosea. The mess- I mean, all of these prophets keep saying the same thing. Anyways, that's, 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 a, that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of talking. 
Uh, any any thoughts on the subject, Nate? Anything you want to add while I'm? I feel like it <clears throat> that it's okay that it's repeated so much because maybe it's one of the most applicable messages in the Old Testament to what we actually can do, boots on the ground, day to day, and we read so many we read so many amazing prophecies about restoration we we have been especially recently going through and talking a lot about how there's so many incredible symbolism uh symbolisms and metaphors about um history repeating itself and all of those things and as much fun as it is to to for me at least to learn about those things and to talk about those things it's sometimes hard to take away i think uh well, what what can I do about that? You know, like, how does this apply to me specifically other than I can look at that and go, oh, hey, this is true, and that's awesome. Um, these are the types of messages that I think are important because we can absolutely take action, right? This message, this message, and we've talked about that those that will be saved are are going or destroyed will be dependent upon how they treated the poor among them, right? How yes. they treated and not, and, and not only the poor in spirit, because I think that that's kind of the easy way out, believe it or not. Right. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll send out missionaries or we'll invite them to come to church. It's like, okay, that's nice. But like, how do you physically help the people around you that need help? And to your point, not even just your friends, and your neighbors, because that's easy too. Not it's not easy, but it's easier, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, how do you treat the people that you don't know? How do you treat the strangers among you, the poor among you? And and are you are you are you generous with what you've been blessed with? And if you are, I feel like that is that's going to be your best. That's going to be your best um, argument in the next life, right? And if you're not, oof, you know, if you, if you're, if you withhold what you have from, from other people when they're in need, it's like, that's, that's going to be tough. Oh, and, and, and so much of this primes the pump for New Testament. I, I, this is the context of where the New Testament is headed. When Christ says, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. We read a lot about and we have been reading a lot about culturally, at least, you know, with the, the ancient Hebrew culture, there's a lot of laws written. Like if you borrow something and you break it, you have to repay it like seven times or it is, um, you know, you get thrown in jail or killed. I don't know, whatever it is, whatever the laws are. Right. But it seemed like a lot of at least the culture that we've been reading about in the Old Testament feels very not necessarily like lendy or giving of what you have and instead almost feels very much like kind of like, well, this is mine and I'm going to keep it. And I, I guess I'm wondering if that's maybe even why throughout the Old Testament, these prophets, are, I feel like, are just beating <laughs> like Israel over the head with this. And, and like you just brought up in the New Testament, even more so, like, like I'm not just asking you to give, you know, X amount. It's like you give everything, you know, and is and and like in modern day, what, what we're 
asked to give to live the highest of laws is everything that we have, right? And I guess I'm just wondering if, if, if there's even like kind of that cultural connection in the Old Testament to these, these prophets having to continually just beat these guys up over this. That's a good question. I'm going to read one of the laws from the law of Moses in the Leviticus. And, and maybe it's a little bit different than, than what culturally we, we attribute to them. It's a Levit- Leviticus 25, 35. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury of him, nor increase, but fear thy God and that thy, thy brother may live with thee. Um, thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend any victuals for increase. And and it's funny because they're saying it starts off your brother, but it says even if it's a stranger. So go back to the New Testament when Christ tells the story because you can't help but read that and think of the, the 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 Good Samaritan, right? When Christ says, "Who was this man's neighbor?" And here, who was this man's brother? Because it says your brother. Though he be a stranger, I, I mean, Christ is just quoting the Old Testament. He's just going back to this law of Moses that they were taught. And you don't do this for increase. You don't look at it and say, well, I need to be compensated for helping this guy. So he needs to pay me back with a little bit extra as soon as he's back on his feet. He says, no. And, and in fact, you make sure he stays with you in your house until he's restored, until he's back. And, and restored from what? It says here, if he be waxen poor. So just simply the fact that if this guy is struggling financially, even if he's a stranger, take him in and don't charge him interest. Help him get back on his feet. And so culturally, I I don't think we focus on this aspect of the law of Moses very much because it seems very much this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And we look at these people as very stringent or following the strict code. But you look at the law of Moses and Christ he sees this and and he takes this and he applies it to the parable when he's talking about the good Samaritan. And he's saying, this is what you should be culturally. This is what you were taught. And this is what the prophets kept teaching you. And you look at uh, Ezekiel, if we go back into, if we go back into chapter 16, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, an abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. So many times we look at Sodom and say, oh, it's, 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 gonna, it's gotta be homosexual related that this city is wiped off the face of the earth. But here the prophet is saying, Sodom was blessed. They were prospering. They were wealthy. They were well off. They had an abundance. And yet they've sought to take advantage of strangers to abuse people, and to not help the poor and the needy. And, and, and then they look at it and say, that's what Sodom did, and you're worse than her. And, and they look at it, and I think, trying to take this and apply this to today, I think so many times we look at it and say, well, I'm not Sodom, or I'm not like this, or maybe they were, but I'm not. But how many times do we look down on people around us and maybe look at it and say, you know, those, those people are wicked. Those people maybe are like the tares that, and, and, 
I like I, the wheat and the tares. Yeah, if we go to the if we go to the wheat and tares, what's the what's the first response that the servants of the Lord have when somebody went in and sowed tares in the night? They come to the Lord and they say, "Hey, somebody planted these tares in here." Their gut response to this is, "Can we tear them out?" And the Lord says, "No, cuz you can't tell a difference between what's wheat and what's tares." Mm. You don't know the difference. You keep trying to assume that these people are tares when all along they were just wheat. And in our society, I think even today, maybe we look at people that are strange from us and different from us, and we keep trying to classify them as wheat. We keep trying tares. to, uh, sorry, yes, tares. And we keep trying to want to to tear them out, to, to to uproot them. Or wouldn't it all be nice if Christ just comes and pulls all of these people out and makes <laughs> it so it's just us? And 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 that we fall in the same trap as them in the Old Testament. They kept thinking it's got to be us, and it's our way, and we're righteous, and everyone else is wicked. And as soon as the Lord wipes everyone else off the earth, we're going to be happy. And the Lord says, "Why aren't you loving them like I loved you?" Is that fair? That's uh, completely fair. I mean, I think that's I think that's why I don't personally mind us going over this again and again and again. It's because this is so easy to overlook and it's easy to neglect and it's easy to not do. And I personally find myself all the time, even when we go over this, having to do a lot of like, personal inventory and try it's like you know it's like i start thinking back through my week and i go oh man did i miss an opportunity to not blow it right and maybe some of us maybe some of us are given more opportunities than not to actually like effectively do this right and effectively be constantly helping people and you know i i would also say too that you know we need to be very careful also about like you know there's a lot of there's a lot of us that are also at times in very dire circumstances that we need to be responsible enough and just make sure we take care of those who we're responsible over, right? Um, but I will say, you know, no no specific story, but something I did learn also on my mission from you know when I ser I served in the Bay Area and there's a very massive Polynesian culture out there and population out there and. Um, the first thing that I learned immediately was um, money Money comes in and money goes out. And there would be times where we would be in some neighborhoods that were not awesome. And if you've ever been to kind of the East Bay area, you, you probably know where I'm talking about that that is not affluent whatsoever and is in, in I mean, it's poverty. And we would we would go and have dinner with some of our Polynesian members and it was, there was no thought of like, Hey, here's some cash. If you guys need some groceries, we're going to feed you. We're going to make sure that you don't leave here hungry. Hey, if we have some clothes, you know I mean? It's all these things where we feel, you know, we would feel like, Oh my goodness, like you need this way more than we do. Please don't, you know? And, and they would just be like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Don't misunderstand. This is like, these are blessings for us too it comes in and it goes out. Right. And it changed me. Right. It really did change the way, um, specifically they were just like, you know, you can always afford to buy food for somebody. And I was like, dang it. You're right. You can, 
you know and and so i i it's something that i've i've tried to learn try to keep with me is that lesson and and you know i don't know if you would probably be able to say the same thing which is you are blessed though when you do that and i have because like i don't i anytime i possibly can even if it's something dumb just like pick up lunch right with you and your friends or whatever it is right money comes in and money goes out and if if in the next life you know if it judgment being judged less harshly because we were simply like okay enough just you know buying lunch for somebody right for a stranger for whatever that is it's like that almost is the easiest thing <laughs> you know it's like it's almost the it's like it would just suck that if that's the thing that like we get dinged on when it's like th th those ones are easy man <laughs> yeah they are they are those are the easy ones i don't know and, and and it's easy to do for our friends we care about our friends but then when you That's start true. when you when you apply it to the stranger and it's funny because I can read in the news about thousands of people that die in a natural disaster on the other side of the world. And and I'll be like, you know what? That's tragic, but but I move on. But if I find out one person in my neighborhood passed away, it's it's going to grip it. It's, I, I'm going to have a harder time getting over it because it's not a stranger anymore. Yes. And and the same thing, like I, I, I've, I've heard people say, and they're driving on the road and, and somebody comes and does something they don't like. It's easy for them to hate that driver, to hate that vehicle because it's a stranger. So take that's me, by the way. <laughs> take I'm working on it. Take that generosity that that maybe it is easy for us to buy a meal for a friend. And, you know, money comes, money goes. But but maybe it's it's worth taking time to help people that we know, help people we not love. But how easy is it to take that one step further? To, to, to see somebody on the corner with a sign and not judge them and say, you know what, they deserve to be there and I'm just enabling them by by throwing them a bone. How how easy is it to love somebody that we don't even know or don't even care about? How do we, how do we, and, and, and that was Christ. He He's coming from Bethlehem and and you would think this religious man whose, whose temple is his house, the house of the Lord, why is he not calling Sadducees and Pharisees to be his disciples? Why is he going to publicans and sinners? Why is he going up to the Galilee and the area up there? Why is he keeping company with, with all of these shady people? And he keeps talking about going after the one. The 99 have, have a structure or support or whatever. I'm not worried about them. I need to keep going after this person. And, and he keeps saying that. And, and we keep forming our groups and, and that's funny because the Lord in the Old Testament says, because you were strangers in Egypt and, and trying to remind them, how did it feel when you were strangers in Egypt and they took advantage of you mm. and they got all this free labor off of you. And then when you go out, I want you, by the way, to treat the stranger really well because you were strangers in a foreign land as well. And how many times you see Abraham, I was a stranger in a foreign land. You're strangers. And the Lord says to us, I want you to be a peculiar people. And how many people look at us as strangers when we don't drink and we don't choose to participate in the same activities or maybe we talk differently or maybe we believe differently or because we wear garments, now we become these strangers and they look at us and, and we should remember that 
and now treat strangers with the same side, the type of love and respect that we would hope that we would be treated with. I think that we can always do a better job at that. But I will say, I do feel like, you know, there's, again, there's whatever. You could you could find a hundred people that would argue a hundred different ways about this. But what from what I can see and from what I would like to at least say is is a positive thing is how much money the church does spend in humanitarian aid and how much the um, church and the state of Utah does try to bring in um, refugees and things and how the church especially tries to work um, with all all different religions and um, different countries, especially when it comes to natural disasters. And I think part of it is because of what you just said, which is it wasn't that long ago that we were the ones getting abused and treated poorly here in our own country, right? And kind of being kicked out. What I what I appreciate about it is is that we all we all learn about and talk about that, but we don't just learn and talk about it to complain about it, right? We learn and we talk about those things so that we can learn compassion for others and so that we can hopefully be better than that. And that is not to say that we execute this flawlessly, but, but nobody's perfect. So, you know, give me a break. Right. But I do appreciate, I do appreciate that we, we don't, we, we, as, as a whole, try not to just complain about the abuses that we, that we suffered and try to use that as a, a crutch or like a victim, a victim mentality and instead go, here's what we've learned from it. We've been able to become a very successful church. We, we have leaders that are inspired that handle our money awesomely, very, very well, very prudently and use that in return to make the world a better place and to do good in the world. It gives me a lot of hope because you look at ancient Israel and if that's the critique that you're not loving these people, that you're not taking the love that I'm giving you and turning it around and and showing it to see the generosity today and 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 not just at a macro level i mean you point out very well Nate the the the, the church being involved in the lives of strangers if you will people that we aren't connected with per se directly that are across the globe all over the place and what they do in that generosity but on a very individual level I mean, I can't tell you how many times someone moves into the neighborhood and are swarmed by all of these people that, that come and unload the van within, you know, a couple minutes and get them settled. The meals that come over when somebody has a baby, whether or not they're members of the same faith. I can't count how many times I personally have been brought to tears because somebody has left something on our doorstep or reached out to help us when we were struggling through employment issues or, or being able to take care of our family and, and I don't want to say any names or embarrass anybody, so I'm going to leave that out. But I feel like this happens wherever there is the church. And I feel like this is the gospel. And even from the law of Moses, we look at the Old Testament and we judge it harshly and say this was a very critical, a very old-fashioned way of doing almost like cavemen type thing, this mentality, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But you see the beginnings of this. Christ was trying to teach love long before the New Testament started. And, and the prophets were very critical of them for not sharing that love. And you go back to Ezekiel's dream of that water coming from the temple and healing the Dead Sea 
because the Dead Sea was dead because it wasn't ever giving what it received. And as soon as they learn to turn around and give that, the sea becomes healed. And, and it's that salt. The, 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 the sea's got salt, and it's a salt to the earth. Is it, if it shares that, then it becomes fresh. And, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of cool New Testament context that we can get into if we wanted to go into parables and, and all sorts we of stuff. We have plenty of time to We probably need to save year. that to, yeah. All right, let's year. keep moving. Uh, let's... Uh, Let's, let's look at Amos 4 real quick because the Lord's going to talk about the time. He says, because, because they're doing this, they oppress the poor, they crush the needy, they say to their masters, bring and let us drink. Uh, same critique that we got in Jeremiah with the shepherds, by the way. You keep trying to get the wool and the food and everything from the sheep, but you're not even taking care of the sheep. You're letting them die. Because you're doing this, it's going to cause bad things to happen. And, and it says, uh, let's go verse 7, and also I have withholden the rain from you. And there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to not rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the other piece, and it rained not, withered. And so two of the three cities uh, wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. And so the Lord's saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to close the heavens. And this is something we're going to see in Malachi, right? And the Lord says, bring your tithes, bring your offerings, take care of these people and see if I don't open the heavens up. And so something that, that's happened as a common theme, the Hebrew word for heaven is shah-ma'im. Literally, it's shah is there, is, and ma'im is water. So they would look at it and say, okay, the blue skies and the, there's water above the earth and there's water below in the earth. So you have the seas and then you have the rain clouds, the water that's up there. So the windows of heaven is this idea that the windows if they're closed, the water can't get through the sky down to the earth to water it. When the windows would open, then the waters would come down. And the Lord's saying, I'm going to shut that. I'm going to shut it off and you're not going to get rain. We see that, I think, literally today with droughts and times that are happening. And maybe there's some connection with that. It's happened a lot in the Old Testament. But if you think of agriculture as your mainstay and what you're doing, today we are very removed from the world of agriculture and maybe we can see this in times of recession or not having work or employment to be able to provide for our families. And, and a consequence of not being willing to take care of the poor is the wealthy start to suffer too. But the Lord's going to send that he's say that not only is he doing this famine, which is of the windows of heaven and, and agriculture and the, the, the ground being able to produce, but as we saw earlier, the waters of heaven is also symbolic of revelation. And the Lord says when he's going to open in the Doctrine and Covenants, he talks about revelation again being poured upon the earth. He talks about his waters that are going to cover the earth, this revelation. And as well as man might stretch forth his puny arm to try to stop the Missouri River in its course, you can't stop the revelations from coming upon the children of men. Here, He's stopping the heavens, but he also is going to say, and I will send a famine on the earth. And it's not going to be a famine of eating and a famine of the the food, but a famine of the word of God. And I'm going to seal the heavens and they're not going to be prophets and you're not going to understand because you wouldn't listen. There's going to go through an apostasy. And, And that's really what a lot of these scriptures are teaching us. There's going to be an apostasy. But as Amos said in chapter three, verse seven, he says, surely the Lord will do nothing, but he reveal his secret. And it's kind of interesting, the, the word secret here, it's, it's counsel. And it's almost like his, his 
um, his council, the assembly of gods, this idea that the council is getting together and making decisions. He won't do anything save it. He revealeth the council, what was said, the, the secret, I guess, unto his servant, the prophets. He says, this is what's going to happen. Until he gives people warning, he's not going to act. And and the Lord says he's going to restore. And I, I mean, that's, that's Amos. That's, that's right. Obadiah. Awesome. Obadiah is just one chapter long. Obadiah, by the way, in Hebrew, Obed is from Ebed, the to serve, servant, uh, servant of the Lord. Ayah is the Jehovah. Amos is burden, uh, a burden. It's not a very friendly name to name your kid. You're such a burden, Amos. Amos Moses, what does that mean? Because that's what we're going to listen to it again, right about here. Amos is burden. Yeah. Moses is uh, it comes all sorts of things. It could be son of, it could be drawn out. Uh, it was a Cajun son of He lived by himself in the swamp He hunted alligator for living He just did knock him in the head with a stump Louisiana law gonna get you, Amos All right, great Well, just so you know, I will, I'll probably have just played Amos Moses over that entire description Because that's what's more important Fantastic <laughs> What are we talking about next week, my man? Jonah! Yes! We get to talk about Jonah! Yeah! Back into the good stuff, baby. Back to the good stuff. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening so much. If you have any questions, comments, please email at us. Email at us. Email us at hi at weeklydeepdive.com. We would love any of your questions, comments, feedback. We really do appreciate you guys listening, and we appreciate all of the great feedback we get from you. Um, until next week. See ya. See ya.